Welcome to Collecting Real Estate. My name is Stephen Purse. I'm here with my co-host, Bill Hamill. Hey, Stephen. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. So today we're talking about 865 Madison Avenue. Yeah, 865 Madison Avenue was uh, right in Midtown Albany, very close to uh, where we were collecting other real estate. And how'd you find this property? This one was on the multiple listing service, as mentioned in that Last episode, we had been finishing up a three unit, which was uh, the largest, not largest multifamily, but the most units that we had to date. And uh, this one had been sitting on the market. I had been looking at it. And as we were finishing up that last project, it uh, was the next one on my radar. And so about how long after that previous project was this? I think it overlapped a bit. I think I went from uh, just finishing up that project or on the tail end of that project, uh, getting over there and taking a peek and uh, seeing the potential and, you know, getting my mindset to break that barrier, you know, from, you know, collecting like the two families and uh, jumping into the larger multifamily. How many units was in this building? This was seven units. So had you been looking to make that, that move? Not necessarily. It was just staring at us. So, uh, you know, still, you know, trying to go one by one, continuing to put properties in that portfolio. And I would say that just weighing out the options of that next purchase. And, and this one had been sitting on the market and I, the numbers, the numbers were good on paper. So it, it was almost unavoidable to at least take a look. And uh, it, it worked. There was, it just had um, instant cash flow. So you know, trying to look back about 18, 19 years, geez, it's just unavoidable to buy this property. You say the numbers are good. Do you remember how good they were? If you could give us percentages or some kind of reference. If I remember correctly, going back, it, it's so interesting. You know, the markets just change from time to time. This was in a, in a, in a time period that multifamily wasn't super popular, at least in the city of Albany and the locations that, that we were looking at. You know, you're looking at the student area, young professional area, Pine Hills neighborhood of Albany. And, you know, you're looking at a, a 13, 14% cap rate based on buying it for list price with the current rents, current tenants fully occupied, sitting on the market for probably between 45 and 60 days at this point. Okay, so you're getting a higher cap rate than you would today, but what was the interest rate you'd pay on that loan? Oh, good question. I would say, I would say we probably got in, it was probably 7%, you know, could have been, you know, even closer to 8% at that point on a commercial real estate loan. So you're getting the higher cap rate, but you also have to pay the higher interest rate. Correct. What yeah. So that, that, that affects the, you know, the bottom line. Yeah. It, it, it's relative. 
What do you think a building like that would trade at today as far as cap rate goes? Well, we just sold it. So, um, you know, we sold it probably around a eight and a half cap back in December of 2021. And we were under contract on that property for five months. So the market has been so crazy where it probably it, it increased value from when we went under contract to when it actually closed. So it was another one of those properties, you know, as we were liquidating, you know, much of our portfolio, you know, once a, a transaction drags where the buyer, you know, just can't seem to get it closed in a timely manner, you know, that last month or two, we're just ready to pull the deal and say, you know, we start reconsidering entirely on whether we want to sell it. So you held this property 18, 19 years, a long time. Um, can you get more of the specifics of what you purchased it for, what it sold for, what the overall picture looks like? Yeah, we bought that for uh, 156000 It was um, a landlord that owned a few buildings and you know, turned into a very motivated seller because she had an, another property in the city of Albany where she was just going through, you know, a, a lead paint lawsuit scare. So immediately, and I've been through this myself, fortunately, it's never for us, it's never turned into anything uh, substantial. But, you know, once you get that type of a scare from a tenant, health department or an attorney writing you a letter stating that uh, there's a lead issue and a child may have an elevated count, you know, it, 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 it certainly gets your attention and, and really makes you reflect on, you know, what am I buying properties built before 1978 for when, when this can happen at any point in time? And fortunately, just like, like I said, nothing really comes of it. It can, I've certainly seen situations where landlords, uh, you know, their, their businesses and lives were turned upside down with this issue, but uh, she was, she was freaked out by it and uh, turned into a motivated seller on the seven unit. And what were you able to sell it for? We sold it for 440,000. Okay. So in about 20 years, it almost tripled. Yeah. Yeah. Basically tripled. We originally under contract for 459, and that deal fell through in the, um, you know, right when the pandemic was happening and buyer couldn't get financing, you know, for, you know, I think pandemic reasons. And, uh, you know, some banks were pulling out. So A very speculative question, but do you think the property will triple again in the next 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. If, if we were to, uh, you know, uh, look at uh, history of real estate. That's that was part of the attraction in the first place. Um, it just always goes up. So without a doubt, you know, depending on the location, depending on the asset. So there's there's variables um, that are important. But for the most part, you know, real estate doubles every 13 or 14 years, you know, plus or minus. And, and that's just the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first time I've heard you mention lead paint on the podcast. And you mentioned that this is something that you've dealt with yourself. 
Can you dive into those experiences a little deeper and maybe give some tips on things that landlords can do to avoid having those lawsuits? Absolutely. First of all, it became law um, to when you're renting or selling. It seems like in the sales world, every age and every broker is very, very disciplined on presenting a disclosure about lead paint, along with providing the pamphlet, protect your family from lead in your home. So anytime you're buying a property, the agent provides that pamphlet, gives you the disclosure where the buyer's initialing that they received the pamphlet. The seller is marking off two areas saying they have no knowledge of lead-based paint hazards in the property. Or, and they have no reports pertaining to lead paint in the property, unless the seller does have reports or does have knowledge of previous lead hazards. So that is, you know, one of those areas, for example, we had an issue on the first property that we ever purchased 20 years after we purchased it. Our first tenant we ever had comes to us way after the fact. You know, we get a, a letter from an attorney saying, when we ran into this tenant, the child at the time was an infant, but now was 18 years old or so. And, you know, they were suing us for lead paint because this 18 year old had an elevated lead count and naming us in a lawsuit 18 years after the fact. So it certainly escalated to a point where our insurance company hired an attorney and it got to an area where they actually did a lead inspection 18 years after these people were there handling the current lead case that was now in front of us. We had a deposition. Um, it, it got serious. It got really serious to where we, we had no idea what was going to happen. And fortunately, it was it was uh, a weak case, very weak case. And ultimately, we were left with this inspection. So now from here on in, like from 2016, 2017, whenever this case was brought up, Going forward, any tenants that we had at that property, we had to disclose that we did have a report. We did have knowledge of a lead hazard from 18 years ago. Anytime we wanted to sell it at that point, that disclosure, we did have to disclose those same facts. Okay, so, so you mentioned as a broker at the point of sale, there's a disclosure. When you're leasing to a tenant, is that in the lease agreement as well, that disclosure? Same exact disclosure. The only difference is, you know, where it, it says, you know, seller or buyer. When you're renting, it says leaser or leasee. But the same exact disclosure where almost 100% of the time you're normally um, handling this disclosure where there's no knowledge, no reports, but, you know, those unlucky people, unlucky properties where 
you know, something may have been brought up and reports or inspections had happened, you're now having to disclose those items. And is this all mentioned in your property management system? I believe I did mention that. Yes, I, I think there's a one pager there based on, you know, stating uh, lead-based paint, asbestos, mold, you know, some of those things are very prevalent in older properties, you know, whether, you know, you're handling tenants or you have employees, those are things that everybody has to be aware of and to protect themselves. For anyone listening that's not aware, Bill created a property management system over the last 20 years. It's almost 100 pages of tips and advice. It's been a tremendous reference point for a lot of people. If anyone's interested in it, they can go to hamiltrealestate.com and download it there or email me at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at hamiltrealestate.com, and I will be happy to send a copy over to you. Now, getting back to the seven unit, was that difficult to manage a building that had more tenants, or did it just fall into your portfolio and you treated it like the rest of your properties? Yeah, it, it fell into our portfolio, and based on this part of our journey, you know, it was, it was routine. It was... Uh, it was just tenants as usual. We just had seven instead of two or three. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out really well. It was already full. And, you know, we just got them into how we operate our business. So we would get people on our leases and, you know, start incrementally getting some rent increases and handling the units and the building the way we were doing everything else. Did that give you a taste for larger properties? You, wow, I have seven units under one roof, one, one heating system. Absolutely. It, it, was, it was nice. The cash flow was there. It was clear that you know, you're able to buy a larger building with more units. So it seemed like you were you know, buying uh, what, what we had buy, buying these small properties. It was like buying two or three properties in, in one shot. Is there anything you remember you would have done differently? I would have upgraded the units quicker. You know, we did upgrade these units um, well after the fact, one by one, so we could get increases in rents, get better tenants. And uh, I, I would have upgraded them, uh, you know, in the first five years and, and, and really um, took advantage of that benefit early on instead of, uh, you know, just just you know, kind of creating fresh, clean units, but with a lot of outdated building materials, specifically, you know, flooring, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, flooring choices from the previous landlord that were, that were just wrong, but it was in good shape. And, you know, it just wasn't pleasing to the eye. So I, I wish we would have improved on that sooner. I think that's something that you've mentioned a few times now on your first you know, 10, 20 properties that you would have invested more into the units. Was that a theme throughout your, your career, especially in the early days? That you, I know we've discussed it before and it's so hard. You put the money into the units that you just purchased or you save it for the next property. And I guess we can keep discussing it because it's an important topic. No, that's the challenge is does this property does this location, does this particular apartment deserve an upgrade of, for example, 
four or five thousand dollars. So, you know, now instead of just analyzing the entire property when you're purchasing it in a pro forma manner to analyze the returns on the investment, now that you own it, you're actually doing a similar analysis on one apartment. For example, okay, you have, you're, you're thinking about putting $4,000 into a unit. All right, how much more rent is that gonna get you to make those upgrades? If, for example, you're gonna get $100 more a month, so that turns into $1,200 a year, $1,200 a year times three or four years, about three and a half years gets your investment back. So we started doing that exercise, which made a lot of sense. And in this case, the example I'm using, absolutely, we're able to get our investment back in around three and a half years. And that makes perfect sense. It's a great investment. It's getting your rent roll higher, driving NOI, but it's also um, creating value and you know, just bringing that building to a higher level, making it nicer, getting a better quality tenant every, every way, shape and form. It just, it just makes perfect sense in this business. So again, it goes back to analyzing the numbers. Is there anything else you want to add for this building? Yeah, the only thing I'd like to add about this property is after you own a multifamily like this for 10, 15, 20 years, it just turns into a, a cash cow. You know, it just gets to a point where it's just making so much money. You know, it makes it where it just doesn't make sense to sell it. Um, we certainly made that choice because I had just made a decision just to pivot away from the city of Albany and scale up into much larger multifamily. And, you know, it was, it was just time after 20 years on this one and 20 plus years on a lot of other ones, you know, to, to liquidate so I could take advantage of, of, of other opportunities. But, you know, in theory, you know, this thing would have just made a lot of money forever. When you say a property like this, is it the location? Is it the price you got it? Is it the unit count? What makes that so unique to be a cash cow? Well, I guess there is a, a lot to say about what we were into it for. So we had been very conservative on a lot of our portfolio where I turned into from you know, the last recession in 2009, um, right to 2020, I was a, I was a huge proponent of principal pay down. So it got to a point where our debt service was very minimal compared to value. So the cash flow was huge. You know, that was, you know, on another note, a, a, another area of mistake for me, I did not take a advantage for the most part of that next upswing from 2011 to 2020. You know, we had purchased, you know, probably seven or eight buildings through that time, you know, but that was the period of time where I should have taken this building and utilized 
that equity, leverage that equity to be able to get into other properties and to build the business, buy more properties and, and, and grow that way where, yeah, the cash flow wouldn't have been as good on this property, but it would have enabled us to get into so much more. And as the real estate market continued to escalate and the rents continued to escalate, it's easy to go back over the last five, six years and to see how much we would have benefited. So after years of experience, you'd be less conservative with your investing and your debt payments. Well, absolutely. And, and from not experience, experiencing that type of a recession, you know, that recession in 2009 put me in the wrong mindset where I was more protective of what I had built up till 2009, where I, I wanted to pay down our debt. And I did not take advantage of, you know, that, that buying time, that opportunity between 2011 and 2020, I did the opposite of what I should have been doing. Yeah, I think that's really uh, powerful information for anyone out there. It's so hard to compare that time to where we are now with market cycles, but just to keep that information in the back of your head and be able to think about that when you're making decisions on your own debt. Well, the next time around, I have been through a uh, serious recession in 2009. I had experienced much softer recession periods earlier in my career, which I really wasn't even uh, far enough along to process intelligently. But uh, when the market does correct at some point, you know, who knows when that's going to happen. It's impossible to forecast. But uh, the next correction that comes around, I will be certainly be prepared for that and, and uh, you know, benefit properly. Well, I'm excited to see how that goes. Thank you for sharing, Bill. No problem. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you.